Hello and welcome to On the Line. I'm Carl Richter. In recent weeks, the Travis Turner murder trial has captivated Texarkana. A jury convicted Turner of killing Jennifer Rose Garrett and sentenced him to life in prison. I sat down with Gazette Courts reporter Lori Dunn to recap the trial and get her insight on the story. In the second part of this episode, I talked with Gazette General Manager and Editor James Bright about his recent column. It explains why we need subscribers to keep the paper viable. Listen for how you can provide the Gazette feedback during a special event next month. Now, here's my conversation with Lori Dunn. Joining me in the studio is uh, Gazette Courts reporter Lori Dunn. Unfortunately, we have another murder trial to talk about. Last week, Travis Turner was convicted of murdering uh, Jennifer Rose Garrett and sentenced to life in prison. Yes. Let's start with the victim. Who was Jennifer Garrett? Jennifer Garrett, I believe, was um, 29 when she was killed. She grew up in Texarkana, went to Texas high school, graduated in 2010, I believe. By all accounts, she was a very popular student. She was a cheerleader, had a really good group of friends. Um, After high school, I believe she got a teaching degree at at Texas A&M Texarkana, but she um, ended up working for a law firm, so she became a paralegal. And then at the time of her death, she was working at Total Medical that delivers medical supplies. And she had a a good group of friends there. They're they're actually the ones that, that found her that day, unfortunately. And how did she get involved with Travis Turner? They started dating at Texas High. They they were high school sweethearts, apparently. Um, he played football and was pretty good, apparently, and she was the cheerleader. And They had a lot of mutual friends. She was two years ahead of him. Um, she graduated in 2010. I think he graduated in 2012. But I think they met through, you know, athletics, football, cheerleading, things like that. So this was a pretty long-term relationship. Apparently, it was on and off after high school. Mm-hmm. They He went out of state to play college football, and witnesses said that they, they would see each other when he came back on the weekends. Um, also, her friends testified that she didn't talk about the relationship a lot during that time, so it, it might not have been anything defined. But, yeah, they— they kind of kept things going for a while on and off. And then, and he, he eventually was injured playing football. And that's um, when he came back to Texarkana, I think. And were they living together? They were. Nobody seemed to be able to say if it was like an official, like you pay this bill, I pay this bill kind of relationship living together. But he definitely stayed mm-hmm. at her place. It, her She had like a, a townhouse on... Um, off of Summer Hill Road, um, they called it a four square, like a or fourplex, like a duplex, but yeah. four. And he he was staying there a lot. 
And at some point, he seems to have just sort of gone off the tracks, right? He, there's, there are other crimes he's accused of. Yeah, and, and none of the other crimes really happened until the last two years. He, as far as I know, nothing ever came out about him having any kind of record before that. People that knew him then seemed to, seemed to think he was a very intelligent, uh, polite, well-rounded young guy and his his dad died I believe in January of 2021 from cancer and a lot of people say he was never really the same after that and he he was involved in a disturbance on the Arkansas side where he shot a man allegedly he he was never convicted of that because I think the Texas side crime came up and took precedence Mm -hmm. And then after his dad died, there was a big dispute about some property. His his mom and dad owned a lot of rental houses. And his mother was in the process of having, um, after the dad died, the mother was drawing up, like, leases or deeds, trying to work with, on getting deeds. So each of the kids, and I think there were four or five kids, would get one of the rental houses each. And there was a lot of people who said Travis at that time seemed to assume that he should get everything, including the house his his mom lived in. He didn't want just one of the rental houses. He wanted the house, which was a, a, a pretty nice house. And they there was a argument at his mom's house b- between him and his brother that got physical and his mother wound up getting hurt and calling the police, and he he was arrested for that. And I think that was maybe like a month, a little over a month before the murder. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out Jennifer was the one that bailed him out of jail on that. Charge. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Now, for those who may not have read it in the paper, can you just recap what happened the day of the murder? Um, yeah, she apparently had a, a really good work ethic, and her being late for work was very unusual. And she had a couple of coworkers who were pretty close friends. I think one of them, they'd been friends even before they worked together. And and the friends got worried when, when she didn't show up for work. And they drove. She, the place where they worked was maybe, they said, like five minutes from her house. So they drove over there, and they, they saw her car, um, and, and a bunch of the friends had an app that they would share their locations with, mm-hmm. so you could look and see where your friend was at all times, and they, it, it, her phone was kind of like pinging that it was in that house. Mm-hmm. So they, they know her phone's in there, they see her car, they knock on the door, Travis comes to the door, he opens it like a crack, a friend says, is Jennifer home? You know, she didn't come to work. And he he told them um, she never came home last night. I don't know where she is. Mm-hmm. Closes the door. So these two friends kind of wait around in the parking area or nearby that apartment complex. They're, and, they're suspicious. Yeah. They, they said it just wasn't like her. And he comes out in a little bit and... One of the friends spoke with him, and they said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to go get something to eat. He gets in his car and leaves. Well, the 
the friends kind of had, there was a lot of testimony about Jennifer and her friends having an open door policy with each other. And they kind of knew at this apartment how to get in pretty easy with the credit card. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. Not the best security, probably, to let people know that. Right. But uh, one of the friends, now another friend had a key, but she was not there that morning. They called her to see if she could bring the key. Uh, she was also worried about Jennifer. So she was on her way over there. But before she could get there, the coworker friend was able to get in the door with the credit card. Mm-hmm. And the couch is like when you open the door, the couch is just a couple of feet away and they could see her mm-hmm. laying on the couch. And they, one of them approached her and, and could tell pretty obviously that she, she had passed away. And of course they were distraught. Um, the other friend driving was on the phone mm. when her coworker just started Screaming. Yeah. So there's a bunch of people all getting there at the same time. Lots of chaos. Um, a neighbor in the uh, in the, uh, another apartment in the fourplex just happened to be a student at UAMS, and she didn't really know Jennifer, but she was home that day. Heard the screaming. Went down to ask if there was anything she could do. Kind of got the impression that someone might be deceased or at least seriously hurt. Mm-hmm. So she went in, you know, as more of a impartial, since so she didn't know Jennifer, and, and checked her pulse. And she testified that there was no chance that, that Jennifer had been dead for a while. Mm-hmm. And there was testimony from the crime scene investigators. They believe she died the night before. Mm. And what was the manner of death? She, she was strangled. Yeah. Which... And from other stories I've written in the past, it's a very personal way mm-hmm. to kill someone. And there were numerous broken bones in her neck. There was so right. much pressure right. put on them. Did the prosecution ever propose a theory of what happened, what his motive was? Yeah, the the theory that they kind of had is that he, uh, but you know, he he had kind of like we said earlier, gone off the rails and was getting in some trouble, ha- having um, more problems with his temper, and he had been texting her a lot of really nasty text messages, mm-hmm. calling her, you know, just cur- cussing her out at times and being rude, and she would say, I'm, I'm here for you, you know, you're the most important person in my life, and he would just kind of dismiss it, like, mm. like okay, you know, just very cold. And she had, uh, according to testimony, had talked to her sister on the phone the night she died earlier in the evening and had told her sister something needed to change. All right, mm. I need to talk to Travis. And the prosecution's theory is that that night – she was getting ready for bed because she was kind of dressed for bed. They were on the couch, and she did. Their theory is that she tried to have that conversation with him, and he uh, just something happened, yeah. and that's when they think he strangled her and um, stayed in the apartment there that night um, with her, with her body, and. 
her phone was, he did not have a phone at that time or he didn't have minutes on it. Anyway, his phone was out of commission for whatever reason, and he would use her phone sometimes. And there was, you know, phone traffic that night of him talking to a couple of different people after she had already died. Mm. And then the next morning is after the um, friends came, he, at, at some point that morning, he had already gone out, had a haircut because he had a hair appointment. Oh, boy. Went to Walmart to get um, a phone car or minutes on his phone, picked up food at Jason's Deli, and was coming back from Jason's Deli with his bag of food when that's when the cops were already there. Right. And they questioned him and inst- immediately took him to Bass State for, for more specific questioning. But, you know, the prosecution kind of pointed out he was intending to go back and eat his lunch yeah. with her body there on the couch. It's mind-blowing. It is. It is. It's very mind-blowing. And when they did, they had some trouble with him for the questioning. Um, they had video of him in an interview room at Bass State picking under his fingernails. Oh, like trying to destroy DNA evidence or something. Pro- that was their theory. Mm-hmm. Um, he was told to stop doing that and kept doing it, and they ha- they had to put cuffs on him so he couldn't get at his, his fingers. And then they were trying to take photos of some marks, like she had left mm-hmm. some mark, fingernail marks on his chest, shoulders. Um, and he, he kind of resisted that. They kind of had to bring in extra officers and be a little forceful with him. Yeah, his resistance and just sort of general disruptive behavior was sort of a theme throughout this. Yes, thing. there were there was a hearing to get um, extra restraints on him during the trial, and usually defendants are not restrained in trial, mm-hmm. and they get to wear more, you know, professional. They don't wear their jumpsuits, right, you know. Right. Um, and he, he was wearing regular clothes. He was wearing, like, a shirt and a suit jacket. But he was still restrained mm-hmm. in his hands and his feet. And part of the motion that um, Kelly Crisp, the first assistant uh, prosecuting attorney, filed was to have those restraints and to have extra security. So there were, like, DPS and Bowie County deputies in, in the court. More and you know, there's always law enforcement in a murder trial, but they were there for just to keep things, keep an eye on him. Yeah, he lost his first lawyer because he wouldn't cooperate. He with wouldn't him. cooperate, so he, the lawyer said, "I can't. I'm not helping him any." Yeah. And so that lawyer requested to withdraw and was allowed to do so, and at. He, he had another competency hearing in early January at that lawyer's request, and he was found competent. And he also, at that hearing, said that he would defend himself. Mm. And I, I didn't know until that time that you don't automatically get to defend yourself, especially if you've been a discipline problem right. in the jail. Right. The, uh, Judge Tidwell ruled not to allow him to do that because he thought it would be too disruptive. And just turn into a circus. Right. So he was given um, a, a court-appointed attorney. It was Bart Crater from Bowie County Public Defender's Office. 
And there was at least one point where the judge had to clear the courtroom because Turner wouldn't be quiet, right? Right. Um, The trial was three and a half days of testimony last week. And then this past, the jury found him guilty on Friday evening and came back Monday to sentence him. So there's uh, sentencing um, testimony is more like not on the facts of the crime, but like character and other crimes, you know, that show. Right. Um, that kind of show maybe like whether a person needs to be locked up and how long. And he, it was doing testimony from a Miller County jailer about when he was in the Miller County jail for the Arkansas side assault. He and that jailer had, had fought. And that's when, this was Monday morning, he started acting out. He, in the middle of that jailer's testimony, he started kind of mumbling to himself. You could make out maybe every other word. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the judge told him to be quiet. And when he when he kept talking, the judge sent the jury out, cleared the courtroom. We came back in. That witness finished. I think he might have gone through another witness. And then the judge gave him a chance to come back, had him brought back. And told him, you know, you have the right to be at your trial. You have the right to assist your counsel. Can you be quiet and do that? And Travis Turner just said no. Hmm. And Ted Will was like, well, you got to go then. So they took him back out. We broke for lunch shortly after that. When we came back from lunch, Ted Will did the same thing. I mean, he was Gave him another he chance. was trying, you know, he he brought him back in and asked. I, I imagine this could be an issue in appeal, right? Unless he probably, du- yeah, double yeah. check that. Right. Yeah. You know. And he did. He, he brought him back after lunch and said, look, we're down to like maybe one or two more witnesses and then um, closing arguments. And then you're going to the jury's going to have this case. Do you want can you be here for the rest of this? And again, Travis Turner said no. And that's when Ted Will said, well, then you're out and you won't be brought back until we have a verdict. And that's what happened. They did bring him back for the verdict. And I, I could not see his face. I had, you know, he's, I didn't see his back in court, but he he didn't really make any noise when he got the verdict. Mm-hmm. Now, what his face looked like, I don't know. But yeah. it's definitely I, interesting. I've heard you say the courtroom was really tense. It was very tense. Um I think everybody who knew him, who had been in the hearings with him before, knew there was potential for something to happen. Mm-hmm. And there were also, I mean, just a lot of people. I mean, it, it was packed almost every day. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of, of course, Jennifer Garrett's family and friends, but there were also family and, and friends of, of Travis Turner, and that you could kind of feel some, some some tension there for sure. And just um, overall, just a, just a lot of tension with, from the from law enforcement that was there. You, you could kind of tell that this needed, they, they were ready to get this done. Yeah. You know, and get him out of a bus state jail. Right. Uh, so I... Imagine it was a sense of relief when it was all over, huh? I think so. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Uh, do you know why they didn't go for the death penalty in this yeah, case? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
It, it was not. In Texas, you... The death penalty is a punishment only for capital murder, and he okay. was he was not charged with capital murder. Okay. He was charged, um, and there's, it's very it's kind of interesting since we just had a capital murder case with with Taylor Parker, mm-hmm. but um, there are certain requirements to be capital murder, and the reason Taylor Parker's was, and everybody's like, well, of course it was a very heinous crime, but it was also two crimes. Taking a life in the course of another felony, mm-hmm. such as a kidnapping, burglary, or aggravated assault, can make it a capital crime. And because she took the baby, mm-hmm. it made it a kidnapping and murder. Right. Um, and other examples of a capital murder case would be a murder for hire, um, killing a police officer or a firefighter um, in their when they're in their official capacity, killing a child under fourteen, I believe. Mm. Um, and multiple killings, multiple killings in a single act or, you know, related act. His charge was just straight murder, and the definition of that in Texas is when someone takes a life due to a sudden passion, not premeditated, and that's what they think happened in this situation. That's sure what it seems like, which is... Right. Not an excuse for him. No, at and all, it, it's but. still a terrible crime. And, uh, you know, I've seen that on social media. A lot of people saying, well, why didn't he get the death penalty? Well, it, it's just a technicality thing on, on the charge. Yeah. So he, he did receive um, life in prison, and he, he's only 27 years old. So might be 28 or 29 by now, but it'll be, you know, a long, a long road for him. Yeah. The jury acted pretty fast in both they uh, did. decisions, right? They did. Um, I, th- I think everybody kind of had a hunch they would come back pretty fast on the um, guilt or innocence phase, which they did, I think, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Sentencing, I thought, might take a little longer because there was such a broad range. He could have gotten anywhere between 5 and 99 or life. That's that's a broad, broad range. Yeah. And... Um, after he was found guilty, his attorney, Bart Crater, you know, accepted the verdict, you know, it's the process, but said, you know, because of his grief over his dad's death, things like that, that he, he was asking for a lesser sentence, like, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years, and they gave him the ultimate that they could, which was life. And what's the situation with the appeals? He refused to sign some document or something? He did, and I, I'll i be honest, I didn't understand that in, entirely. I know, I think in Texas, you get one appeal right off. Mm-hmm. And this was during the time when he'd been found guilty, but he hadn't been sentenced yet, so they knew he was getting some type of punishment. Mm-hmm. So when they brought him back in, Judge Tidwell made a point to ask him again if he would sign this, which apparently is a pretty standard thing, and he wouldn't do it. Um, so Tidwell kind of initialed it for him and then signed as the judge. Mm, okay. So, I mean, he any any appeals that come later, I mean, I'm, that can be a long process too. So we'll definitely see what happens. And we'll be covering it in the Texarkana Gazette. Anything else you want to say? It's just such a sad story. It was a very sad story. Um, it, it was kind of just like 
the the thing that you know you it was almost I mean, this may be corny, but it was kind of like an American dream: boyfriend, girlfriend, popular, good friends, the football player, and the cheerleader. Yeah, I mean it's just yeah. a story almost as old as time, you know. And, uh, yeah, and um, apparently she just she had a lot a lot of good friends, and it was funny that several of them who testified described as she was my best friend. Mm, you know, she was right. a kind of everybody. She had a lot of best friends, and it, and it wasn't fake. It was, yeah. She, she they really were best friends, a very close group of friends, and there a foundation has been started, and you know something good that came out of this that her family and friends want to do. They're calling it the Jen Rose Foundation, and it's to help domestic violence victims. And I, I'm hoping to get more information on that soon and do do a story on that because, you know, we do. The victim gets lost sometimes in mm-hmm. in the court process, and 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 that's another thing that um, the district attorneys mentioned to the jury at the end is that this is a murder trial for Travis Turner, but it's also a day a day for Jennifer also. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks again for covering it so well, and thank you. We'll be following the story from here. After a break, I'll be back with Gazette General Manager and Editor James Bright. Hey, everyone. I want you to know how proud I am to welcome Hostetler Roofing as a sponsorship partner. I had the pleasure to meet with some of Hostetler's staff, and I could tell they really mean it when they say they're all about honesty integrity, and accountability. They get it that contractors don't have the best reputation, and they want to change people's minds about that by setting an example. Everything Hostetler Roofing does is about taking care of customers, whether it's a commercial or residential job, maintenance, repair, or a whole new roof. That's why they offer five- and ten-year workmanship warranties on everything they do. Hostetler has a huge variety of roofing styles and materials available, and they're happy to help you with options to pay for their work, from affordable financing to applying for government grants. It all starts with a free inspection. Just call and ask, and before you know it, you'll get the best advice out there about your roof. Visit HostetlerRoofing.com or call 870 870- Five five seven four seven nine seven to get started. And please mention you heard about them here. Joining me is James Bright, General Manager and Editor of the Texarkana Gazette. Hi, James. Hello. Uh, first of all, we have a big announcement that we want everybody to know about. Can you tell us about Zoom with the Editor? Yeah, yeah. So, so before COVID, um, we tried to do these occasional coffee with the editor events where we'd invite subscribers and non-subscribers to come chat with Les Miner and myself uh, at a local coffee shop, and we'd buy everyone who attended a cup of coffee or a scone, and just discuss the Gazette, what we were trying to do, what we were trying to accomplish. Um, we haven't done that since post-COVID, and and with the advent of Zoom and how how you know digital meetings have become such a part of everyone's life. Um, you know, we decided instead of 
making it a physical location. Let's make it digital and allow everyone who's got the time to, to come in and, and have a chat. And when is this going to be? It's going to be March 23rd at 6 p.m. Uh, the information is on our website. You can click on an ad to Zoom with the editor and, and book it uh, in your calendar. Then all you need to do is download Zoom and show up March 23rd at 6 p.m. Um, and you can come have a chat with, with us, cuss us out, tell us you know what you think of the paper, good or bad or indifferent, uh, what we need to change, um, why you don't like my beard, etc. <laughs> I was about to say, everything's on the table. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're not just fishing for compliments or anything. We, we really want to hear from people. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I've, I've been doing this going on 20 years now, and um, I've always believed that journalists are public servants. Uh, and the game has certainly changed. You know, when I started, print was still king, and, and we're very much uh, in the transition, uh, well within the transition of, of becoming more of a digital media than a print media. Um, and we don't hide that anymore. And I think that's a conversation that needs to be had. Speaking of that, um, people may have seen your column uh, last weekend. Um, I'll link to it in the show notes. It's in front of our paywall so everybody can read it. What you try to do is just answer the question we get all the time, which is why do you insist that we have to pay to read the news? Uh, could you just sort of summarize what you said there? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny because this is not a Texarkana thing. I've I've worked in in you know half a dozen markets at this point, and um, the idea of paywalls and and paying for digital content is certainly not a new one, uh, and certainly the idea of subscriptions, especially as they relate to newspapers, isn't new. I mean, we've been a subscription newspaper for almost 150 years, uh, but for some reason, somewhere along the way, uh, people got the idea that that if it's online, it should be free, um, and it costs money for us to produce this content. And unfortunately, although we do sell digital marketing and advertising solutions, that on its own isn't enough to pay our overhead or pay our staff or, you know, even try to, to grow our staff and grow their income. Uh, we have to have subscribers. And, and the reality is, you know, our business model for forever has been based on advertising first and subscription second. And over the last couple of years, we've moved the other direction to where audience revenue or subscription revenue is really driving our business and advertising is secondary. Uh, this is a good thing because I've, I've, as I said, I've been around for a while and before um, there wasn't a, a lot of concern when it came to editorial content or copy. And it was really just seen as more, uh, you know, an effort to fill the pages for advertisers. Now editorial content is, is king and there's a premium put on good local news. Um, so, you know, we, you know, the other thing we get a lot is, well, I can just read the news for free on you know this side or that side or this blog, whatever. Um, and the reality is, yeah, some of it you'll be able to read for free. Sure. You know, the breaking news, the, the accident on I-30, you know, the, the, the shooting, we're all going to cover that. And, and generally speaking, we try to put that coverage in front of our paywall because we realize that the broadcast stations from Shreveport are going to cover that. We realize that some local blogs, um, will attempt to cover that. But the in-depth coverage that matters beyond two hours of your day, we're producing that. We're going to go and pick apart budgets at City Hall. We're going to go look at issues regarding economic disparity in Texarkana. We're going to talk about businesses shutting down, our businesses opening, and how it impacts you in your day-to-day life. We don't want to do news that lasts for five minutes. We want to do news that's going to affect you for the next six months, six years, 60 years. Um, and in order to do that, we have to have paid subscriptions. And the reality is there is nobody else who can who can do that in Texarkana. We're it. Um, additionally, a lot of this local news that you do may see repurposed for free started with us. 
So even though you think, oh, well, okay, I'll just get it for free from whomever tomorrow. Well, if we don't cover it first time, it's not going to get covered tomorrow because we're the only ones that are providing true journalists that are trained to be journalists, paying them to go out there and cover the news. Uh, it's just not happening, even though I think it's it's kind of thought that it is. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure people really understand this. I can't tell you how many times I've heard uh, on the radio someone reading the news, and it's basically our story that they're reading. That's 100% correct. And and we have some partnerships um, with, with some local broadcast entities, NPR, for instance. You know, Steve works very close with us, uh, and we're happy to have those partnerships, and they always give us credit. And, you know, I know in a heartbeat if, if Steve had to jump on something, he'd send it to us in, in a minute. Uh, for us to go cover it as well. Um, but it is really frequent that people will pick up the paper, read news from the paper, and that's how they'll fill their news hole. Uh, and that's honestly not necessarily a bad thing. It's also not new. You know, we want people to consume our content. But again, if we're not here, that's not happening. What kind of response have you gotten to the column? What kind of questions are people still asking? You know, the response has actually been pretty favorable. Um I've had a couple of people say that they just prefer print, but they respect what we're trying to do. Uh, I will always be respectful of that answer. That, I think, is a fair answer. I understand liking a certain medium and not wanting to move to another one. Uh, when I started, you know, I was 20 years old, and, and seeing my name in print was like the greatest thing in the world, and that's all I wanted. And, and I didn't care at all about online publication. I only cared about seeing you know my byline and my story in print. Um, but but another harsh reality is if we continued to do daily home delivery, daily print delivery, there'd be no Gazette. It was no longer a feasible business plan. Uh, and, and that's not just for us. That's for most newspapers of any kind of size. It's just too expensive. And, you know, just as inflation has hit everybody, it's hit us acutely as well. And, you know, we're paying more today for, for printed paper. We're paying more today for, for ink. Um, Obviously, gas is, is at a reasonable rate now, but for a while, we were paying a substantial amount of money to our carriers who were taking single copy out to Albertsons and Easy Mart and what have you. Uh, you know, that subsided a bit, and, and we still do print a daily paper uh, for, for, for single copy consumption, but we analyze that every single day. And the minute that becomes unprofitable, frankly, we'll stop doing it. And, you know, I make no bones that I don't know you know, in, in the long run, how, how good that is, because we want people to build a digital habit. Uh, and and the, the reality is that everyone's got an iPhone or an Android, and that's how the majority consumes their media. You know, we have 200,000 unique visitors on average at our website each month. And when we look at where does that traffic come from, 70% of it comes from mobile. That is astounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are lots of advantages to going digital. It's not all, um, you know, a funeral dirge for the print paper. Um, there's stuff to celebrate, right? Absolutely. You know, that's so. So one of the funniest things that I've seen in my career is, you know, start starting in 2006, which was the last year the industry saw a year-over-year increase in ad revenue. It's seen declines every year since. Um, you know, it, people would start talking about the death knell of, of newspapers. Um, when I, you know, started looking, becoming on the editorial track in 2010, 2011, 2012, uh, why are you going into journalism? You know, it's going to die. Print newspapers will be dead in five years. Five years later, I'm, I'm an operator. You know, why are you, why are you continuing your career in journalism? Print newspapers are going to die. You know, another five years, uh, it, you know, I'm, I'm an operator in another location. And it's funny to me because people continue to say, oh, newspapers are going to die. In five years, and and in my mind, it's how many times do you have to be wrong about a time frame for something to die before you accept it's not going to die? 
Um, we are going to evolve. I'm not saying that at all. And that evolution is a good thing. We're restricted in the print media. We can only do so much. We have until X deadline time to get the news in, and that's it. And so much space. Exactly. We have no restrictions digital, and we have no restrictions on how we convey that news. I mean, the conversation we're having now, 10 years ago, would have been a rarity, and now it's common to have podcasts that are associated with newspapers and news organizations. And we love it. We want to be able to reach different people different ways. The fact that you don't have to stop and pull over to read your newspaper, that you can listen to this podcast to get information about what's going on in Texarkana is wonderful. Um, you know, that, so, so we're not restricted. And, and forever, the Gazette will be a newspaper. But we're evolving into a news organization that goes into digital publishing. There will always be some form of print and, and other forms of multimedia. We're expanding the video. Our hope is to expand into some, some short-form documentaries about issues affecting Texarkana in the next year and two years. We're going to continue to grow the output of news mediums we can we can control and we can we can produce um but our core roots will be in journalism which makes us different sets us apart from other blogs or or you know quote-unquote news entities finally let's try to put it to bed one more time (laughs) the only thing that happens in little rock is the ink gets put on the paper correct that is we are all right here yes Yes, that was actually one comment we got on Facebook is is I don't want to perpetuate or I don't want to help a little rock business. And it always makes me laugh. You know, we're we're at one oh we're at one oh one East Broad, we're at the corner of State Line and Broad in downtown Texarkana. And I was sitting there responding and literally said, I'm sitting in my office at the corner of State Line and Broad. I don't know how much more in Texarkana I can be. Um, you know, and additionally, I, I had a, a my second child, a second son four months ago at St. Mike's in Texarkana. You know, our, we had our first child. Uh, shortly after moving here, and and he he goes to school here. I mean, it's 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 this this idea that that we're all commuting from Little Rock, or that we're making phone calls. I don't really understand it, or you know what that means. But no, we we come to work every day in Texarkana. Um, we show up, we clock in, we do our work, we commune with the, with local community members. They see our faces, they they know who we are. We have relationships with sources. Oh, yes, I, I was the president of Main Street Texarkana until about a month ago. I mean, in, until my my tenure was up. But um, you, you know, but but to answer that question, some people still say, "Well, you're printing the paper in Little Rock, so the paper's in Little Rock." And my thought is, where where is the books you read printed? If you if you read a paperback book, where is it printed? And no one can answer that question off the top of their head. No one knows. Why do you care where the the words, the ink is put on paper? You care about where the information originates from, from the author. And if you care about locality, the author's writing your copy in the Texarkana Gazette or in Texarkana. And again, if we hadn't consolidated printing for all of our family of newspapers mm-hmm. in one place, there probably wouldn't be a print paper. No, no. I mean, that's, it's, you know, that's just any business, any, any, if you look at any business, it's not going to operate the same, you know, year over year, 10 years over 10 years, it's going to have to evolve. If you try to maintain the same business model in perpetuity, your business is going to die. Um, you have to evolve with the times. That's all we're doing. I mean, we're just we're just changing the way that we present our, our media. Uh, you know, if, if there was a market for daily delivery and, and, and people were willing to pay $49.99 a month or, or some ostentatious price, then sure, we could continue doing that. But that's legitimately what it would cost for us to continue doing daily delivery and be even respectfully profitable in order to continue paying our staff and having some kind of margin year over year. Anything else you want to say? Yeah, I, I, I do want to say that that I, I have found that the 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 detractors, people who who 
you know, pull away from the Gazette tend to be the minority. Um, most people have been really receptive to the changes we've made. They like it. Once they ex- look at the iPad and, and get comfortable with it and get comfortable with that replica, um, they end up liking it more uh, than the print copy more often. A lot of times that's because they can zoom in. They can, you know, play with the enhancements. Uh, you know, people still really enjoy puzzles. They enjoy Sudoku and, and Crossword, and they can fill those out. And we actually contract with a third party, and we give them hundreds of, of puzzles and crosswords. Um, you know, additionally, you look at that, and obviously I'm speaking of our older generation of readers when it comes to those things, but when you look at millennials and, and Gen Z, um, they're, they're obviously going to consume news uh, from their phones or from, from their tablets. They're, they're very mobile, and, and that's fine. That's, that's how I consume Zoom news as, as um, part of the millennial generation. Uh, but, but we have to reach them, and, you know, showings are stu- – there's a lot of studies that show that specifically Gen Z is interested in local news sources that are vetted. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think that's a reflection of obviously – what we felt with with just the influx of, of social media news and non-vetted sources and, and misinformation. Um, People are really aware of, of that by now. I think so. I think, you know, it, 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 not having leaning politically one way or the other, it's it's just fake news is a real thing on both sides. You have, you have you know, liberal propaganda, you have conservative propaganda, and, and it can be portrayed as being objective news. And for a long time, I think people – we're somewhat hoodwinked on both sides on that, and, and hopefully there's a pushback toward, oh, okay, traditional media sources who who you know, attempt to be as objective as humanly possible in their coverage are really going to give me what's really going on in my community. I mean, that's that's our core values is to be objective. That's our goal. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons that I love working for this company is because they're not interested in, in pushing a liberal or conservative agenda. They're interested in recovering the news as the news is. All right. Thanks very much for taking a minute. I'll put the link to the uh, Zoom meeting in the show notes, too. Thank you. And we can continue the conversation then. Sounds great. On the line is a Texarkana Gazette podcast recorded in Star Bear Studio right here in downtown Texarkana, USA. Follow On the Line on Twitter at OTLTXK. And on our website, texarcanagazette.com slash podcast. To support the show, post a positive review wherever you get your podcasts. The show is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Carl Richter. And I'd love to hear from you. Email me at krichter at texarcanagazette.com. I'll see you next time on the line.